0: So I'll stand and sing our song of praise. Let it rise.
1: Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the angel of the tea among us, let it rise. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us, let the songs of the Lord rise among us, let the joy of the key rise among us, and let it rise. Lord, rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of the King rise among us. Let it rise. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the joy of the King. Mongols, let it ride Oh, oh, oh let it ride oh, 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 let it ride One more time oh, 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 let it ride
2: Seated, if you will, but we want to welcome each and every one present today, and glad you're glad you're here to worship with us in spirit and in truth, and and to realize that God is good, and to uh, focus on who God is. For those who are now viewing us after after we've uh, had our service today, and not necessarily live, we had Facebook issues again today, uh, but uh, uh, hopefully you are able to tune in, uh, being this afternoon and. Uh, worship with us So thank you for all those Who tune in as well And uh, we welcome each and every one each and present let's, uh, let's pray together Father we thank you That you give us opportunity This morning to be able to Worship one with another Fellowship one with another But more importantly uh, To be still and know that you're God uh, To submit our lives before you And to know that you understand Everything about us And you understand life in itself And you understand all that we're going through. But yet at the same time, we realize this service is not about us and the surroundings of who we are. It's all about you. And may your name be lifted up. May you be glorified and honored through everything we do and say and even think in this very time together. Again, we want to say we love you, we honor you, and we reverence you today in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. I want to bring a message this morning that is entitled, uh, Preparing to Meet God. Now, I think the, it's going to show up on the screen, Prepare to Meet God. I didn't mean it to sound that way that I'm going to try to teach. <laughs> but uh, let's kind of change the title a little bit, Preparing to Meet God, and to prepare our hearts for that. And we're coming from Exodus chapter 19, looking at a few other scriptures along the way. But as we think about this message, I want you to think about what it takes each and every day for you to prepare your heart to have conversation with Holy God. What does it take for you as husband and wife, as a family, as an individual, corporately as a body in Christ, to meet with God on a regular basis? And we find in Exodus chapter 19 some of the uh, prescriptions to make that happen. And a couple of preparatory things that may become necessary for you and I to be able to be still, pull off all the distractions in our life in order to focus on who God is and what He's about so that we can worship Him in spirit and in truth. In Exodus chapter 19 beginning in verse 1 and just kind of jumping a little bit in the in the entire chapter but a good bit that we'll read in the third month on the same day of the month that the Israelites had left the land of Egypt they entered the wilderness of Sinai Now if you are a study of scripture you know if you flip the page to chapter 20 you know what's happening the preparation of the giving of the Ten Commandments. So keep that in mind as a background here as why God is wanting the preparation made because He's getting ready to do something remarkable in the life of the nation of Israel. Now, jumping down to verse 3, Moses went up the mountain to God and the Lord called him from the mountain... and and says this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to me now if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant you will be my possession out of all the peoples although all through the earth is, although all of the earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. Sounds like a reference to Peter brings out in 1 Peter chapter 3. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and he put before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. And then jumping into verse 10. And the Lord told Moses, Go to the people and purify them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. And on the third day, the Lord will come down On Mount Sinai, in the sight of all the people. Here it is again in Scripture, the third day. Has something remarkable about the third day. And then, verse 12 put boundaries for all the people, for the people all around the mountain, and say, Be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain will be put to death. Now, verse 14. Then Moses came down from the mountain to the people to consecrate them, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, Be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. And on the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and the loud trumpet sound so that all the people in the camp shuddered. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain now mount sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the lord came down on it in fire its smoke went up like smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder louder moses spoke and god answered him in thunder the lord came on Mount Sinai, at the top of the mountain, and then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up, and the Lord directed Moses go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die. Even the priests who came near the Lord must purify themselves, or the Lord will break out in anger against them. Now, this sounds like a lot of details, but it's important that the people understand why God was trying to get them to a point of preparation. And just as important as it was for the people of Israel to prepare themselves, as the Scripture says, to meet God in verse 17. That's what it was all about, so that they were prepared to meet God. Just as important it was for them to prepare, it is just as important for us to prepare every day of our life. And yet when we come together as a body in Christ, we understand that entering into the presence of God is a very sacred moment that we share together in common, that we celebrate together in common, that we understand that it is a lifeline of vitality, that we understand all that together. So as we think about this message, I want us to think about what it takes of entering into the presence of God. And number one is this. It, in approaching God, it requires consecration. Now, the word consecration is a unique word all throughout Scripture. And to understand that, we must understand from verse 10, God tells Moses to consecrate the people. And what does that mean? That basically means to set them apart, to purify them, so that they are qualified to meet God. The Hebrew word employed here is the same uh, root word as the word holy. And so what it's talking about is the ceremonial cleanliness to make them holy as they present themselves before God. Now, if you've had that experience to where you called out to God in your life and you said, Lord God, I give you my life, and I ask you to save me from my sin. There is no more pure and holy moment in our life than that. Because when you and I have that experience where we surrendered our life and our heart to the Lord God, we know at that moment we are clean, that we are set free, and that we are standing before holy God at the most holy moment of our life, the sacred moment of our life, and we are clean before God. The this, this slate is wiped clean. Our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west, and it is as pure as the whiteness of snow. We understand that moment in time. And so how do we capture that same moment every day in our life? Well, it takes a time of setting apart from that which is profane so that it's dedicated toward that which is sacred. Many years ago in the sociology of religion, I had a professor by the name of Dr. Davis. Dr. Davis was a, a fiery redhead professor and he was one of those that he was just, he, he, he was so lovable, you couldn't help be attracted to his charisma. And as he stood before the class, every time, he always brought up certain questions that we could pick his brain and heart and he would help us to dive into the thoughts greater and greater. Of course, coming from a sociological perspective, he's dealing with behavior. He's dealing from the agricultural society to the industrialized society and how religion has fit inside that from a sociological perspective. So we're not talking about Psychological. We're not talking about theological. We're talking about sociological. And so as a result, we, we were in that class, and I remember when he pointed his finger at me in class as we went through and gave introduction to what our goals in life were, were what, we, what our aim was in life, and he picked me out of the class because I told him, I said, my life's goal is to become a pastor. And for some reason, he picked on me in a good sense, all throughout that semester. And he pointed his finger. He said, I want you to explain to me the difference between the profane and the sacred. Now just stand up and tell the class. And I'm thinking, this is my freshman year, basically, or the second semester year in my freshman year of college. And I'm very shy still. I'm still trying to figure out what God's calling is in my life and how it's going to work out. I'm still learning as a babe in Christ. And I'm supposed to give a theological, I thought, discussion in sociology on the difference between the profane and the sacred. And so I stood up and I said, I think the difference is, Dr. Davis, is that a person who understands sin and is caught up in sin is profane. And the person who gives their life to Christ and is cleansed in Christ is now sacred. Have you made that decision, Dr. Davis? And I sat down hoping and praying he wasn't going to throw the book at me. And he, he agreed with me. And he gave a discourse for 50 minutes on the difference between the profane and the sacred. Basically, the profane in our life is that thing which is opposite of God, is wrapped up in the temporal, it is wrapped up in in the sin of our life. The sacred is that which has been designated as holy. It's that which is good. It's the cleansing. It's the freeing. It's the relationship to God. So the profane is outside of the relationship. The sacred is within the relationship. Now, the problem exists is that we as human beings are constantly battling the issues of the profane versus the issues of the sacred. And so here with Moses, the children of Israel are living in the profane and God is trying to make them understand the sacredness. And in order to understand that sacredness, they had to go through a cleansing so that they could be presented before God and that they could meet with God and have a wonderful, wholesome experience in relationship, in fellowship with God that they would understand this is sacred. The very sacred moment of their life when they meet with God. If you've ever had a heartbroken moment of your life and you're reaching out and you're trying to wrestle or wrestle whichever part of the country you're from and you're trying to, trying to figure out whatever that issue is on your own and then you come to the point and you realize, I've got to give this up. I've got to cast it on God as I lay my cares upon Him. And when we cast that care upon His shoulders we realize we've just moved from the profane to the sacred. If you've ever had a moment in which you're tempted and you're you're grasping, should I follow this temptation or continue in this sin or should I not? And when you agree to the point that it is not wholesome to follow that temptation or to continue in that sin, you have just moved from the profane to the sacred. And so that's what Moses was trying to get the people to grasp. That I've got to move you in your heart and mind from the profane that you're at to move you to the sacred moment because you're getting ready to have a mind reorienting, character transplanting, liberating experience with the Lord God when you meet Him. And so God's ready for the holiness to be understood in the midst of the people. And it's much like trying to understand this consecration. In the New Testament, it carries the same meaning as sanctification or to be sanctified in your heart. As God prepares to meet His people, He prepares to speak with them and give them the law and he tells Moses that they must be prepared, and Moses is giving the task of consecrating or sanctifying the people. We do not know in great detail exactly how Moses did that, but we know something happened because God would proceed forward because that which is recorded in Exodus chapter 20 is the giving of the Ten Commandments. So we know that their hearts were ready, they had met with God, they had been purified before God, and God responded by giving them the laws in which they would live by for the rest of their lives. What's important is that we note that they had to be set apart before they were ready to meet with God. And there were two things, according to Scripture, that they were told to do. Symbolically, now you've got a picture in mind what this means. They, first of all, they were told they were to wash their clothes. Now, by washing their clothes, the Israelites were demonstrating their understanding of God that He was holy and that they were dirty. And in order for them to meet with God, they had to be clean. And so an outward expression was to wash their clothes and to cleanse themselves and to show forth that they were presentable before God. Now I know every one of us has done yard work. We've cut grass, we've pulled weeds, we've done flower beds, we've painted, we've worked, we've pressure washed the house. And when you get through, you are drenched with sweat. You're dirty. Your hands are dirty. Your clothes are dirty. You're dirty. Even your eyes may have sweat that has dropped in them through the day. And you understand it. Your hair is ringing wet. You may have sweat dripping from your earlobes or running down your nose. You understand And when you come in, you feel, okay, I'm not going to sit down in my nice, comfortable recliner and I'm just going to enjoy and let all the sweat and dirt soak into that recliner. What do you do? You go straight to your bathroom, you take off those dirty clothes, you get in the shower or the tub, whatever ways of washing, and you cleanse yourself and you get squeaky clean. All 2001 body parts are clean. And then you put on fresh clothes and then you're presentable your house or your spouse or your family. The same idea we get where the Israelites were to wash their clothes in an outward expression demonstrating to God that they were cleansed, that they were set free, They they were presented, being able to be presented before God as being purified and clean. So the second thing they were to do, the scripture says they were to refrain from sexual relations. Now what is that, what is he talking about? What he's talking about is this, not that the sexual activity within the bonds of marriage was any way unclean. That was not what they were talking about. What they were saying was, in order to be prepared to meet with God, they must spiritually abstain from any personal indulgence that would take their mind off God and, and their heart away from God. So they were to stay focused. So we're talking about an outward expression of cleansing their, their clothing to present themselves clean and an inward focus of their life so that it stays spiritually intact. So they were preparing themselves, remember, preparing themselves to meet God. So it comes a time that where you and I must clean, our, clean ourselves And stay focused in order to meet with God. It's hard to to go into prayer and you got your cell phone at your ear or you got your TV blasting. You know, you've got to cut off those distractions in order to stay focused in that prayer time. And so that's what they're talking about. Stay focused. The lesson here is that meeting with God requires personal preparation. It's not just going to fall in your laps. It's not just going to happen. And I know you've agreed with me and I agree with you. If you say, you know, there's one thing about that person is that they're a man or woman of prayer. Well, why do we understand that? Well, because that person has prepared themselves for prayer. And they walk that prayer life and it stands out And so the same preparation must exist. It means that you and I, in seeking the Lord God, we must seek Him with an undivided heart and mind. It means not allowing anything else, no matter how blessed, how wonderful it may be, to distract us from preparing to hear from God. And that's what he was telling Moses to do. It's kind of comical if you think about the situation with Moses. He first calls Moses to come up to the mountain. Now, I don't know about you, but hiking a mountain is not easy, right? So he calls him up to the mountain, and he gets up there, and he's still winded. And he says, now I want you to go back down the mountain and give a message to the people. Okay. So he goes down the mountain. As soon as he gets down to the mountain, he has to go back up to the mountain to convey the response from the people back to God. As soon as he gets back up to the mountain, God says, now... Go back down and tell my people this. So he goes back down. He does that three times. I'm thinking on the last time, he's probably thinking, I hope this is it. I'm tired of that mountain. Well, we know the next time he goes up the mountain, he's going to receive the Ten Commandments, and it's going to be amazing. But yet, what's happening is that Moses is doing all of this work to prepare the people... To meet with God, so let me talk about ways that we can prepare, prepare ourselves to draw near to God. And we go into James chapter four, uh, verses uh, eight through ten. In James chapter four, in eight through ten, gives us just a little indication of what we can do to prepare ourselves to draw near to God. In verse chapter four, verse eight. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter will change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Now, what's the first thing that we can do? We, first of all, we cleanse those hands. In other words, that's another way of saying that we stop sinning. We cleanse ourselves and we say to God, this profane in my life is not as important to me as the sacred. I'm willing to let go of the profane because I understand the joy of the sacred. I'm willing to let loose of the things that hold me in, the, in disdainment in the profane so that I can relish in the joy of the sacred. It's coming to a point in which we cleanse ourselves from the sin of our life. But it doesn't stop there because if that was the only issue then we would be dealing with a lot of good behavior only. That's just a part of the mix of drawing near to God. It's going like you're going into the the holiest of holies. You're presented to go behind the curtain before the mass of the people and you're representing the people as the priest and you go into that curtain and you know as you enter that curtain, you are pure before God. You've dealt with the profane and you're relishing in the sacred. So you're cleansing yourselves. Number two is to purify the heart. It's an attitude check that affects the heart. It's looking at a heart and saying, is there anything within me that I need to deal with? Much like David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there's any wicked way in my heart and lead me in the way of purity. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lead me in the way that you want me to live. So purify who I am. Now, We all have those moments, the moments where we threw the frying pan and we hit the spouse in the head. No, I'm just kidding. We've had those moments to where we've we've dealt with the the ugliness within us. We understand that, and, and we have to go back to someone and say, I'm sorry I offended you, or I'm sorry for my behavior. I'm sorry that I acted that way. I'm sorry that I said those things. And, and when we do that, we're actually looking into the very heart, the core being of who we are and we're realizing we're not representing who we belong to anymore and so we have to do some, some, something about it so we're purifying those relations and the same thing happens with God we have to look into our heart and say to God God help me to see anything that you don't like that you're seeing so that I can see it so that I can be led in a way that's honorable to you a way of everlasting so purify my heart you know Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 ...probably has much to say about this consecration effort. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age. In other words, do not be conformed to the profane, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in that of the sacred, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. The constant battle between the old nature and the new nature, the profane and the sacred. And part of that is the purification process of the heart. The heart is the rim of all those feelings, emotions, attitudes that produce action in our life. And then the third thing that James says is to mourn and weep. Now that sounds exciting, doesn't it? To mourn and weep. But wait basically, it's not saying to, to move into the, 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 uh, a, a day of mourning And staying that way, it's looking at our life and saying, You know, God, I realize that I am breaking your heart. And we cast our life before God. And we say to God, God, I am sorry for for presenting myself in a profane way before you and I'm sorry for this, and, I, and you begin to mourn over that sinfulness of your life so that you can stand before God with all enthusiasm and all excitement and say to God, I am ready to meet and talk with you. It's moving to the point of saying, I'm sorry for what I have done. It's realizing and understanding that our sin has been nailed to Jesus on the cross and that saving us from our sins is the reason that he died on the cross and we understand that someone died so that we could live. And that produces a period within our life that should humble us in a way that brings us to the point where we say to God, God, you have done the ultimate in preparation so that I can enter into this holy of holies with you, that I can move into that tent of tabernacle, that I can have face-to-face conversation with you, that I can move from the point of where I am in the profaneness of my life to the very sacred holy moment of my life and have fellowship one with another with holy God, the King of kings, Lord of lords of all the earth, and I am, as your servant, bowing down to my king. And if you watched any movies over the king, you understand the nobles and the subjects of the kingdom are to be in submission to the king. And many times you see him curtsy towards the queen or you see them bow before the king. And the same idea should be in our own mind that we are the nobles, we are the subjects, and as we enter into the presence of God, we bow in His presence. We recognize that He is King of kings, Lord of lords, and we are not. And we bow before Him because He is honored. He is all that He's supposed to be, and there's nothing else that could be added to the, the economy of who God is. He's perfect, he's holy, he's just and he's right. And we stand before him in reverence, in honor to him. And so the fourth thing back in James that it says that we must humble ourselves, and this brings us to the point and the heart of the matter. To be right with God demands humility. Approaching God requires consecration. And it requires that we be set apart from all that is profane so that we're set apart unto that which is sacred or holy. Now let's go back to entering into His presence. We said first of all, it requires consecration. Now second of all, it requires reverence. Now you look at Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 28, I believe. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace, and by it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire, it says. So that we may serve God acceptably in reverence and awe. You see, this speaks to how we view God. Whereas consecration is more how we view ourselves. Now, the reverence is more about how we view God. And when we see God for who He is, in all the theological understanding, psychological, sociological, whatever way you want to look at it, when you begin to get the view of God, you realize that He requires reverence. Now, there are times when I do things wrong that I walk into the house and I give Renee reverence because I know that if she knew what I did, she may not be happy with me. We're not talking about reverence to get by. We're talking about allegiance. We're talking about moving from the consecrated effort of holiness into the relationship of understanding of our view of God that He is holy and just and right and we reverence Him. We give Him all the awe that we can give Him. Because when we stand in His presence, it it takes us back. It may even take our breath away from from time to time. And we're in the awe-stricken moment that I have entered into the presence of God and I have God's attention and He has my attention and I'm having conversation with God one-to-one and I'm hearing from God what He's challenging me to be. That's a beautiful moment and we give Him that reverence. And so a part of that preparation that the Israelites were going through so that they could receive the holiest of commandments that was going to be written upon their hearts for the rest of their lives, God needed a holy subject. And He needed a holy people. He needed a royal priesthood. And He needed those Israelites to be presented before Him as pure as they can be and giving Him complete reverence. You see verse 12 of Exodus 19 as well as Exodus 19, verse 21 through 25, we find God telling the Israelites to keep their distance from the mountain. And so that's, that's not just respect, <laughs> that's reverence. That's realizing the holiness of God is more powerful than the unholiness within the people. That means that when they get closer to the mountain, and it says, do not touch. It really means do not touch to see if the pain is wet. It is stay away from the mountain. Don't even get to the base because if you do, you will die. In other words, why would he put that requirement? Because if you disobey me now, then you're never going to obey me later. And if you can't understand the one simple request to be obedient to me now, then your consecration effort is a vain it's, it's going to go by the wayside. So demonstrate to me that you can understand the orders that I've just commanded and to understand the covenant, the agreement. If you remain pure, you will be my possession. You will become my holy nation and the royal priesthood. Do not touch the mountain. Give me reverence. Bow to your king. Your life is before The king. Beautiful, isn't it? And so he's trying again. You've got to keep in mind this message is all about preparing the the people so that they can meet with God. Now, number three in entering into the presence of God is that approaching God requires meditation. Meditation. Now, this speaks of how we get to God. Now, consecration is the view that we have of ourselves and where we need to change in the process of going from the profane to the sacred. The, the reverence is our view of God as holy and majestic as He is. And if you really want to understand reverence, we'll go back and punt for just a moment. Understand majesty. Understand that God is a God of majesty, majestic ability. Majestic in all that He is, not limited to human understanding. That He is majestic and we are in reverence to the majesty of God. And so, understanding the meditation is basically our, how we get to God. The message is clear. We only get to God through Jesus Christ, who is our mediator the one who makes it possible for us to get to God, the Father. And the reason we have access to God is through Him, it's because of the blood that consecrates us. It sanctifies us and it makes us holy. And therefore we are cleansed of our sin and we enter into the holiness of God. So we approach God with meditation. In Psalm 19, I believe it's verse 14, I've jotted down some notes off to the side, and, and I keep saying I believe it is. I can't read my writing. You ever had that problem? <laughs> and then if you can't read your writing, you can't remember at the same time. So, But I think it's Psalm 19, yes, verse 14. May the words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to God, my rock and my Redeemer. Beautiful passage, isn't it? a beautiful verse inside the whole Psalm 19 that closes out, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable unto you, Lord God, who is my rock, who is my Redeemer. And so you understand the meditation. The meditation is that we become steel, and you get a, a picture of God in all of His holiness. You get a picture of God in all that He requires. You get a picture of God with open arms ready to receive us. You get a picture of God full of grace and full of mercy. You get a picture of God that He's ready to deal with whatever complication in our life. You get a picture of God that He can handle all our cares as we cast them upon Him. That He will supply all our needs according to His riches in glory. And that He will give us strength in our time of need. And we get that view of God and we meditate on that and we recognize that He is he's more than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is majestic and holy and righteous. That He is the Prince of Peace He is mighty God. We recognize that He has all power, that He has all might, that He controls the entire world, that He has a kingdom with people in it who are His kingdom citizens that gives us every day through His Word instructions of how to be His kingdom citizens, representing Him every day. We meditate upon that. We grasp that in our mind and heart. And we recognize that the God of this world, when we go into conversation with God, we are grabbing the God of this world, the king of this entire world. We're walking into his majesticness. We're walking into his, his holiness And we bow before the king and we're saying, I'm here to serve you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my being. We get a picture of that. We meditate upon that and we realize God is holy and we need him. It's a beautiful picture. And Moses was trying to get the people of Israel to rally because something was up. He knew that he was not making that trip three times back and forth to the mountain just to get exercise. He knew something was up and something great was coming even though he had no idea what was going to be next on his next trip up the mountain. That he would stay for days and the people would get antsy at the bottom of the mountain. And he would come back with the the, the scribes, the scrolls of the laws given to all the people beautiful moment that God is preparing His people to have a meeting with Him. What a challenge that you and I have every day to enter into the presence of God through consecration and reverence and meditation. Realizing that God loves us. He wants us to be in Worship of Him. He wants our undivided allegiance. He looks forward to the moments to where we can enjoy His presence. That we can bow before Him and recognize that He is Lord of our life. He looks forward to that time to where we call Him Daddy. That we have conversation with Him for strength to represent Him, to proselyte the kingdom, to perpetuate the gospel, to continue it through our everyday lives. God is a God who relishes in the fact that we we come before Him in all our heart and in all our ways and we present ourselves before Him. And He cleans us up And he lets us understand the joy of the sacred. Dr. Davis, through the course of several classes that I took with him, it was something about him that attracted me to his teaching. Even though sometimes he was way out there theologically, but I had to keep it in perspective that he was coming from a sociological standpoint, dealing with human behavior. And I watched Dr. Davis through the years was attracted to all of the ministers that were going to Coastal Carolina University, a state institution. That's what it is today, a very state-governed liberal arts institution. But during the time, there were five of us that were inside that university growing up to become Ministers, and Dr. Davis grabbed all five of us, and we became a little huddle with him through several years of college. Jeff Dunn pastor at Christ United Methodist or Christ Methodist United Methodist Church. Uh, myself, Roger Clemens, uh, Dean Lackey, and Pam Muse. All five of us. And four of us or all, three of us are back in this area. One lives in Pennsylvania, the other lives in Columbia. And all five of us committed our lives into the full-time vocational calling. And we watched Dr. Davis get a hold of the understanding that the sacred has nothing to do with human behavior. It has all to do with the matter of the heart, of surrendering your life before the Lord and saying, God, I give you myself, and I give you my life, and I walk away from the profane, and I enjoy the sacred. So let me ask you this closing question. What is it that you need to do to be prepared to meet with God? What is the one thing that you need to do today to prepare yourself To meet with God now that's not a question to cause you guilt or to have you slap yourself in the face that's not what it's about it's about grabbing hold of the opportunity presented before us today that can allow us to have a meeting with God that could be more vital than it ever has been in our life the one thing or the many things that we have to deal with in order that we present ourselves before God. It may be in the consecration that you have to focus on. It may be your view of God and your reference. Or it just may be in the heart matter of meditation. Whatever it is, and you work through that, and you agree with God that it needs to be dealt with, I promise you this. God's not going to say, okay, here we go again. I've heard the sing-song from you before. That's not what He's going to say. He's going to say, all right, I've got you right where I need you. And I am excited about our encounter together. As you consecrate yourself, as you understand who I am, And as you put your heart before me, I'm going to revolutionize who you are. Because walking into this sacred moment is going to blow a hole in your profane of your life. Will you today prepare yourself to meet God? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you give us opportunity today To be able to understand, first of all, the beauty and the caption of who you are. To be able to put in perspective your holiness and your majesty. To put in understanding that you are the king and we are the servants. That we are subject to our king and we place our lives before you in complete humility, and reverence. And as we think about who you are, we're caught up in the awe-strucken moment that you receive us as we are. Father, thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for wholeness, grace, and mercy, and loving kindness. Thank you for your patience. And thank you for allowing us to meet with you as holy God. Father, we just want to say we love you. We honor you. We worship you. And we lift your name on high. And we, we place you in position that you are Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be your sons and daughters and to be a part of a great kingdom as your citizens and as your subjects serving you. Thank you, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
3: Shadow, he is watching over me. I hear the thing, I hear the thunder as he cries for me. Standing in my savior's shadow, grace will lead to where I'm free. Let's take his hand, we walk together light shines on me. Though the devil tries to break me, my sweet Jesus won't forsake me. When I'm in my Savior's shadow,